The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. ago. He caught me at a weak moment. But I guess I had uh, been so used to Brother Mike just saying I had a number eight in my job description that I was to do whatever the pastor asked. I said yes. And so uh, today we're going to uh, preach on uh, Exodus chapter 4 verses 1 through 17. And uh, if you have your Bibles and uh, would stand with me in reverence of reading of God's Word. We want to read the first 17 verses, and I believe it's on the NIV uh, on the screen. When you find uh, Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then Moses answered, What if they don't believe me and will not obey, but say the Lord did not appear to you? The uh, The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Moses ran from it. But the Lord told him, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, And the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, white as snow. Then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, that they may believe the evidence of the second sign, and if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recent, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant to speech. And Yahweh said unto him, Who made the human mouth? Who made him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, Please, Lord, send somebody else, someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on the way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what I say, what to say. I will help both you and him to speak, and I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve as God to him. And he took his staff in his hand, and you will perform the signs with 
May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. May you may be seated. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you said, this must be a misprint or this can't be right? Have you ever read the Bible story and said, I can see myself in this story? I certainly have. I've tried to analyze every story that I read in the Bible because I want to know what God truly says in his word. Some people read the Bible and they just read it like a a fairy tale. Or they read it like an assigned reading assignment. And they read it and wonder what it says and really don't care what it says. But I want to know all that God has to say in his word. And I want to be able to analyze the story and know that God is speaking to me, to my heart, because that's why I read the Bible. I can see myself in this story. I don't know about you, but I, like Moses, had my life all planned out. I wanted to go in a certain direction. I had prepared myself educationally, and I wanted to be an architectural engineer. And one day, God said to me, that's not what I want you to do. And my whole life changed. I had to change directions. I had to change schools. I had to change everything in my life. But I see questions that Moses may have asked. I believe I asked those questions, the same questions from God the day he called me. I can imagine Moses probably said, God, you must be kidding. You want me to go back down to Jerusalem, to Egypt and tell people to let my people go? And you want me to tell Pharaoh, who is the king of all of Egypt, that he must let his slaves, who have been slaves for 400 years, to let them go, to take them to the land of promise. You want to go, you want to tell Pharaoh to do that. God, you must be kidding. I can imagine those questions that might have come from Moses. I would believe that the questions, if you'll permit my, my sanctified imagination, I believe they would go something like this. You want me to go where? You want me to go to Egypt? I've been gone from Egypt for four, 40 years. I made a life for myself. I'm married. I have a wife. I have a child. I have a job. I have a family. I have established myself in the land of Midian. You want me to go where? I would imagine sometimes when God speaks to you about doing certain things in the church, you probably say, you want me to do what? You want me to teach that group? You want me to serve on that committee? You want me to serve in that position? Lord, I've got other plans. But I imagine that that like Moses of old, we have to... Remember that we, are, we belong to the Lord. We are bought with a price. Maybe you don't know God, but I'm a wanted man. When I left Egypt, I had a murder charge on my head. You want me to go back down in there and get arrested and tried and convicted and killed? Yes, sometimes God wants us to go to those places that there may be danger. There may be risk to be taken, but yet God is saying, I have a claim on your life. You have something that I can use. I remember the Apostle Paul said, 
We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, that's why God wants to use us, ordinary, common, everyday people. He wants His name to be lifted up and to be glorified, not ours. He's not calling special people. He's calling ordinary people. And those ordinary people, He's going to give extraordinary powers that they might be a life-changing in the, in the life of someone that they encounter. You want me to go where? I'm a wanted man. You see, God knew all about that. He had been there when, when, he, uh, when, uh, when uh, Moses had killed that Egyptian castmaster. He had persuaded Moses to flee for his life, and he had made a name for himself. But yet, he was a runaway slave under Egyptian law, and God was saying, you need to go back. I've got a job for you to do. God doesn't call special people, but he calls ordinary people. I can imagine that Moses probably had uh, some other answers. God, if you're going to deliver Israel already, why do you need me? You see, over in chapter 3, God had said to Moses that I'm going to deliver my people from bondage. And I want you to go back and be my spokesman. He already promised that he was going to deliver them. So, God, if you're going to do that, why do you need me? Now, certainly God could have accomplished that job without Moses. He didn't need Moses specifically for a particular job. He could have done that with a wave of the hand. And sometimes we, like Moses, feel like that God can use miracles to change people's lives. But you see, God performs miracles in the absence of that human instrument. Sometimes we feel like that God can just wave his hand and things will be straightened out. But yet God wants to use us because God knew that Moses had knowledge of the history of Israel. He knew that Moses had the knowledge of the rulers of Egypt. He knew that uh, Moses knew the master plan, the mystery of God's master plan. He was going to make them a great nation there in Egypt and elsewhere when he led them to the promised land. I don't know where you remember the history of uh, Israel when they went down to Egypt, but there were 70 people who went down to Egypt. Seventy. By the time this story emerges, there was over, we know over 600,000, and some estimates estimate there were over two and a half million Israelites. You see, God was making them a great nation where they were. But he wanted to make them a great nation in the promised land that he had promised their fathers years and years prior. And so God had a plan in mind. And he says, Moses, I need you. I need you to go. Moses, of course, was apprehensious. And Moses said, whom shall I say is sending me? You see, we got all kinds of questions. God has got all kinds of answers. Sometimes God wants to give us answers by piecemeal. He gives us answers a little bit at a time. Progressive revelation, someone says. You see, God was going to give him an answer that the Israelites knew all about. He said, you tell them that I am has sent you. Now, the Israelites knew what that meant. 
Because God had given that name uh, to himself a long time ago. Which meant that God was saying, I am before time began. I am now and I am in the future. Wherever it is in the present tense, I am. There's no such thing as the past and the future with God. It's all in the present. He said, you tell them that I am has sent you. Then, of course, Moses had other questions. He said, well, how am I going to go? What am I going to do? He says, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. He said, throw it down. He threw it down. It became a snake. He said, pick it up. Now, I know some of us would not want to pick that snake up. Uh, Brother Mike used to say, when they put handles on snake, he's going to start handling them. Well, okay. But he reached down and put, picked that snake up by the tail and became a staff again. And so God was showing Moses that with him, all things are possible. Sometimes we have to look at our hands. What's in our hands? What is in our hands? You say, well, there's not much. I'm not educated. I'm not smart. And you begin to rattle off the I am nots. But God has a, an ability to make you I am. He has the ability to give you the desires of your heart if you're so desired to trust him. And, of course, the staff and the snake was a sign uh, from God that he was going to be with Moses all the way. Most, mo Moses must have been a surprise when he cast down that staff and it became a snake. And yet God said, pick it up. It's in your hands. You know, there's a song we used to sing when I was a youngster. And I think it's in some of the hymn books, Paula. Little is much when God is in it. You see, whatever we have in our hands, it's much when God's in it. No matter when it's a staff or whatever it might be, it's much when God is in it. Of course, this did not satisfy Moses. Uh, he said, uh, I'm still not convinced. God said, all right, put your hand in your bosom. Put your hand in your cloak. So he put his hand in his cloak, and when he pulled it out, the NIV says it became white as snow. It became leprous, leprous, leprous. And when he put his hand, he looked out, and his hand was le Now, leprosy was a terrible disease in the ancient world. You see, in the ancient world, if you had leprosy, first of all, you were banished from your family. You were banished from society. You lived in a colony somewhere until either you died of the leprosy or in, by some miraculous power, you were healed. And so Moses knew what it meant when he pulled his hand out of his cloak. His hand was leprous. And God said, okay, put your hand back in your cloak. He put it back in his cloak. He pulled it out. It was whole again. You see, God has the power to change lives and to change circumstances. You say, well, Brother Paul, you know, uh, uh, I know my circumstance is almost hopeless. Well, God has the power to change it. If you commit yourself to him, he has the power to change your life. It's not hopeless, but God can make everything whole. Then God showed him a sign that he did not show him on the mountain. He told him about a sign. He said, when you get down to Egypt, you take out uh, uh, some water and pour it on the sand and that water from the Nile is going to turn into blood. Now, that was not demonstrated on the mountain, but Moses knew that sign was there. 
And you remember what happened when he got down to Egypt. That's exactly what he had to do. They did not believe the first sign or the second sign and did not believe the third sign. And, of course, that's where the seven plagues come in if you read the story uh, from uh, uh, the book of Exodus. But I want you to notice that uh, Moses was not really convinced. Uh, And he said, God, did you know I flunked Hebrew 101? I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I, I, I never have been. I never have been able to speak uh, eloquently. And I, I, I just flunked Hebrew 101. You need to get somebody else to go. God ha- always has an answer. He said, who made your mouth? Was it not I, Yahweh? I made your mouth. I can make you speak or I can make you dumb. I can make you see. I can make you blind. I made your mouth. I made all the parts of your body. I know how to use every single one of those parts. I can help you. I'll teach you what to say. Verse 12 and 13. I will offer you help. I will be with you. I will not, you'll not have to go alone, but I will be with you. Who can stand against the Lord? Might be a question that you would have to ask. When you're hesitant. Who can resist one that's being sent by God? Moses had the best helper in the world. He had God himself. In the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. He says. If God be for us. Then who can stand against us? Then uh, he answers his own question. Nobody. Nothing. I don't know if Moses ever met Paul or not. But I suspect that they've been reading from the same book. In fact, I think they, they knew the same author. The Apostle Paul and Moses lived generations apart, but yet they had been reading from the same chapters and the same verses. You see, the visible signs of the presence of Moses was in his hands. Every time he looked at that staff, he knew that God had given him as a reminder that he was always going to be with him, that he would never leave him or forsake him. That staff was always in his hands, and he knew that God was with him. Now, if we read the story further, we'll find that that staff became very important. When he got down to to Egypt, when he raised up his hands and and touched the water, it became blood. When he got to the Red Sea and he lifted up that staff, The sea parted. You see, that staff was very important in the hands of Moses. Just like what he's put in your hands. It's very important what God put in your hands. He doesn't put the same thing in everybody's hands. We all have different gifts. In fact, he reminds us, uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we have all different gifts. Some of our gifts are demonstrative and some of our gifts are silent. But all of our gifts have been given to us that, the, that God might be glorified, that he might be lifted up, that we might use those gifts that God has given us. For instance, I, I thought about a, a, a question that I needed to ask all of you. I want you to look in your hands just for a moment. And I want to ask, I, I don't want to presume to be God, but I, but I want to ask you a question. Suppose God were to say to you, As long as you're serving me, 
And as long as you're using your gifts for me, I'm going to let you live. The length of your life is going to be determined by how much you serve me. By what kind of gifts you use that I've given you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of you would be willing to say, God, if that's a proposal, I'm going to continue to serve you and to use my gifts for your glory because I want to live. I want to see my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids grow up. I want to be active in serving you all the days of my life. Now, I don't know where God has asked you that question or not. But I kind of suspect that he's asked me that question. As long as I'm serving him, God's going to let me live. And when I quit serving him, God's going to take me out. I kind of suspect that God's made you the same promise. But I want you to notice a final thing. God the Father always knows best. You kind of... Sometimes we think, now, God, you must be kidding. Certainly you don't want me to do that. You don't want me to serve here. You don't want me to teach that class. You don't want me to serve on that committee. You don't want me to do this. But God always knows best. Look what happened when he went down to Egypt. You can find that in the 29th verse and the 30th and 31st verse of this same chapter. Here's what it said. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. You see... First of all, God spoke all the words. Aaron spoke all the words that God had said to Moses on that mountain. And the people heard that. He spoke all the words. You can't dream too big for God. God never trembles at our dreams and aspirations. He never says, I don't know how in the world I can meet that guy's expectations. You see, he's bigger than any dream we ever have. Or any goal that we ever set. Put him to the test. And he'll meet that test every single time. He spoke all the words that God had said to him to the people. And he performed all the signs in the presence of the people. God allowed Moses to perform all the signs before the people of Israel. And before Pharaoh, he had to gain the fellowship and the fellowship of the Israelites before he could confront Pharaoh. Have you ever thought about that this church has to secure the fellowship of the congregation before we can convert and confront the lost world? Have you ever thought about that? You see, some of us follow at a distance. Or we follow whenever we feel like it. Or we follow sporadically. Whenever we get a burr under our saddle, we follow. But you see, Moses had to secure the fellowship of all the people 
before he could confront Pharaoh. Sometimes churches need the fellowship of his members and the congregation because that enables them to be able to confront a lost and dying world. And our world starts right here where we are, but it moves out beyond this, this location. Our mission field is outside of this building. Would it be wonderful if we came to church for somebody else rather than ourselves? In fact, that's what the church is all about. We're not here for us. We're here to get, prepare ourselves to confront a lost and dying world. If you think we're only here for our self-serving, then you're mistaken. You don't understand what a church is all about. It's not a place where you join so you can be married there and die and be buried there. A church is a place where you come to prepare yourself for a lost and dying world confrontation. And if you're not here for that reason, you're here for the wrong reason. You see, the church has to have fellowship before it can confront a lost and dying world. And so... God had to perform all the signs in the presence of the people. I'm going to quit preaching and start meddling. Does it bother you sometimes that we have church experts? They work in a secular job somewhere, 40 hours a week. You come to church for an hour in a committee meeting and they know more than the staff. And then no more than the, the pastor. Does it bother you? Can you explain that to me? I just don't understand that. How somebody who thinks about the church for an hour at a committee meeting knows more about what the church needs than the staff that God has assembled. Is that meddling? I'm thinking out loud. We need to get fellowship. If we don't have fellowship, we can't have fellowship. God's had to show all the signs to the people. Then the Bible says, the people believed Moses and Aaron, but they worshiped God. Look at verse 31. You see, sometimes when something happens in our midst, we cry out, preacher, president, Supreme Court, Congress, praise God. Congress, praise Supreme Court, praise President, praise Pastor. What we ought to be saying is, and I hear people say, boy, that's a great sermon you preached, preacher. Well, we ought to say, thank God you gave our pastor a good sermon. You see, that's where it comes from. It don't come out of his heart. It don't come out of his intelligence. It comes from God. If it doesn't come from God, it's not worth hearing. Thank you, God, for giving your blessings to us. Thank you. You see, that's where the thanks and the praise and the glory ought to go is to God. The Bible says, and they believed. The people believed when they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel. And he had looked upon their afflictions and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And he's not kidding. 
He's really not kidding. If you think God's kidding because he says that my son who came and paid your sin debt on the cross is the only way to salvation, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. He's not kidding. The Bible also tells us that he owns our life. That he possesses our life. The Bible says that our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you know that somebody owns you? If you are a believer in Christ, and you have taken him as your Lord and Savior, and by the way, he won't be your Savior if he's not your Lord. Sometimes we get that all bum-fuzzled. You come down and accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and then you live like you want to live. Not in the Bible. Not from God. If he, comes, if he becomes your Savior, he's going to be your Lord. And if we don't understand that, we're going to have a problem. Because he's going to continue to come to you. You see, what, what God is Lord over, he's going to Lord over it. That's why some of us are so, so miserable. We've got just enough religion to make us miserable. We don't understand that we have been bought with a price, that we belong to somebody else, and somebody who is our master and our Lord has the right to command us and to tell us where to go and what to do. God has a claim on every believer, whether we're 8 or 80. By the way, some of you are going to be surprised. Do you know Moses was 80 years old when he got The voice from God out of the burning bush. We've seen too many Charlton Heston movies. We think he's robust. 35 or 40 years old. Dear friend, you are never too old to serve God. And you're never too young to start serving. Like I said a moment ago, suppose God were to say to you, As long as you're serving me, as long as you're using your talents and and your gifts for me, I'm going to let you live. When you stop doing that, I'm taking you out. You say, well, Brother Paul, my God's not like that. He's a God of love. He just lets me get by with anything. Well, you don't know the God I know. There's a God of love and a God of justice and it's by the way it's the same God if you have just the God of love in your vocabulary you haven't met the God who's going to sit on the throne when you stand before judgment by the way it's the same one there's just two sides to the coin he loves you but he commands you Now, my question to you is, are you going to obey him? Are you going to say, yes, Lord? Are you going to bow your head and bow your knee and worship the God who owns you? If you're not willing to do that, 
I'm going to promise you something. The Holy Spirit of God will never turn you loose. You're going to live a miserable life because he's going to be knocking on your heart's door. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, till he gets your attention. Some of you may be here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus. You say, well, that's the reason I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't want somebody knocking on my heart's door every 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Well, I want to tell you, you have not escaped. You have not escaped. God's desire is that you might be saved. Not everybody is going to be saved. I'm not telling you that. But God's desire is that you would be saved. He's going to continue to knock on your heart's door. He's going to put things in your path. You're going to see things that you've never seen before because God is out to retrieve his people. He's going to deliver his people. And God's going to get his people. So you need to understand, God's not going to let you go. He loves you. As the song said, he's sovereign. You know what that word means? He's ruler of everything. Nothing outside of his rulership. But the reason he is sovereign is because he, is, he loves you with a holy love. Some of you may be here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me plead with you. Open your heart. Experience life like you've never experienced it before. You see, we exist without Christ. We live with Christ. We only exist without Him. Find life's greatest treasure. That is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Some of you have been here. You've been visiting the church. You've been, you've been active in Sunday school. But you've never found a place of ministry. Let me invite you to come and find a place where you can minister, where you can use the gifts that God's put in your hands. It may be a staff, whatever it is. It may be small or it could be great. But little as much if God's in it. And I invite you to come and find a place of ministry. If not in this place, somewhere else. Because God wants to use you in a mighty way. Because God has a love for you. And he wants the best for you. There be others here today. Your life is all out of sorts. Everywhere, everywhere you turn, there's disappointment. Have you had a personal relationship with Jesus? Are you walking with him day by day? If you're not, I can assure you, that you're going to have those miserable days. Even when you come to know Christ, there's going to be disappointments. Just a few weeks ago, I had a bump in the road. Oh, it wasn't the end of the world. It was just a bump. On life's road, there's always bumps. But I want to tell you, if you look up, there's a Savior who's walking beside you. I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to pray. Miss Paul is going to come and lead us. And we're going to sing. And I invite you to come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we have in Moses. Even though he had questions, he was willing to go. He was willing to say, here am I. Send me. 
And he went down and did what you called him to do. And out of that came a great miraculous delivery of your people. Now that people has a job to do. They have a job. They have a nation to build. They have people to influence. And Father, we know that you've called us to do things that we never thought was possible. But Father, that if we give you what's in our hands, you're going to use it in a marvelous and magical way. And we just pray, Father, that you'd use us today. Speak to the hearts of those that you've laid your Holy Spirit on their hearts today. And I pray that they'll respond, not because I called them, but because you called them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.